Howdy, folks. This is Jimmy Aiken of the Jimmy Aiken Podcast, and you're listening to Catholic Foodie. It slices, dices, and makes julienne fries. This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 131 of the Catholic Foodie, The Linton Kitchen. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today we're going to talk about Lent. You know, Mardi Gras is gone. It's over for another year, and uh, we are now in the penitential season of Lent. So we're going to talk about fish today. Why fish? You know, we can't have chicken, we can't have beef, we can't have pork, uh, but we can have fish. What's, what's the deal there? We're going to talk about that today. Also, I've got a recipe or two for you and a special guest on the show, Celeste Behe, uh, who has a blog over at celestebehe.blogspot.com. It's called A Perpetual Jubilee. I love it. She's going to join us today. Mary in the Kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt, too, right here, the Catholic foodie, where food meets faith. Believe it or not, I am very excited about Lent. <laughs> you know, as a, as a foodie, uh, it may strike, strike you as odd that I would think that uh, Lent is is good and that I'm excited about it, but I am because, you know, without uh, without that balance, uh, then, then life just is not good. You know, there is, it, there is a chance, right? There is a possibility to have too much of a good thing, and, that, and then all of a sudden that good thing ain't so good anymore. So Lent is a wonderful time to step back, to uh, enter into more deeply our relationship with God, and to kind of put our lives in perspective. You know, what is, what is this all about? What are we doing? And penance and abstinence and fasting is, uh, that's what it's all about. You know, we don't fast and abstain from things just to do it, right? Just, it, that, that's not the end. The end is not the fasting and the abstinence. That's, that's simply a means and, it, and it's a means to bring us into a deeper, closer, more intimate relationship with, with the Lord. That's what it's all about. So we're, we're going to talk about that today, particularly fish. You know, what is that all about? Why can we eat fish? Uh, and, and I tell you, I had a hard time with this growing up when I was in high school after I had my initial uh, very powerful conversion experience at the age of 16 and, and started to wonder, you know, I wanted to practice my faith. And I'm, I'm, I was at the time I was living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I mean, we just, we, you know, seafood was just a, a way of life, you know? So Lent was a challenge for me spiritually and sort of philosophically trying to figure out how is this, how is eating fried catfish on Friday bringing me closer to God? <laughs> that was, um, that, that kind of tripped me up for a while. So we'll talk about, the debt, uh, about that today. And uh, also uh, we've got some other good goodies for you. But, you know, first I want to tell you about some other good news some other good news is going on. You know, divineoffice.org, all the fine folks over at Divine Office Catholic Ministry at divineoffice.org, uh, they sponsor the, the show. They sponsor the Catholic Foodie. And uh, got, I've got some great news. You know, last year they won uh, a lot of awards in the About.com's 2011 Reader's Choice Awards. And I was very excited for them back then because they do such good work. I mean, top-of-the-notch iPhone, iPad apps, and those apps are also available now for the Android and the Nokia and, you know, for the Mac. For If you have a Mac, you know, you can get these desktop uh, applications also. I mean, just fantastic stuff. And they're all things that are geared toward helping us grow in our faith, helping us to grow in prayer. Uh, I mean, the Divine Office app itself, to me, is like it's the flagship app for them. Uh, but it's also just, um, well, it's life-changing. And you, you can go 
to divineoffice.org and read some of the comments that people make there. I mean, this app, or go to iTunes and read the comments there. This app has really revolutionized the way that, that people pray uh, and the way that they can experience this ancient tradition of prayer that we have in the Catholic Church, which is uh, the Liturgy of the Hours. So fantastic group of people. They're doing fantastic work. Great, great Catholic ministry. I love it, and I'm, I'm very honored and very happy that they do sponsor the Catholic Foodie. And that's why I'm so excited to be able to share this news with you today and to urge you to participate, to urge you to kind of help them out, reach out, help them out just a little bit uh, by spending 30 seconds voting for them. They were, uh, they are now, again, this year, 2012, they are finalists uh, in the About.com's Reader's Choice Awards. And if you go to uh, divineoffice.org, I'm going to pull this up so I can actually see what I'm talking about, and I don't lead you astray here on accident. But if you go to divineoffice.com, you'll see right there in the right-hand corner a link. It's a little image, and it shows you, you know, 2012 Reader's Choice About.com finalist. And you can click on that, and this is what I want you to do, because this is, this is, uh, this is important. And, and it's important not just because we want honors and we want the world to know that we're the best at whatever, right? And that's not really the motivation behind what Divine Office is trying to do here uh, in sharing this good news. But here's the deal. These awards, from a Catholic perspective, anytime uh, a, a ministry is recognized like this, and, and it's in the media, it, it's out there, this, this is good news, right? It's good news that's shared with the world. It draws more people to this excellent Catholic ministry. So there are people out there in the world who, who can really benefit from what they do, from, from divine office. But those people will never know about divine office unless we tell them about it. And one way we can do that is through awards like this. So um, the cool thing is Divine Office has set it up to where if you go to divineoffice.com, you can click on that little link in the, in, the, in the sidebar. It'll take you to a page where you can sign up to be reminded every day to vote for them. And uh, I'm telling you, literally, it takes me about 30 seconds. I get my email every morning. I, I go, I click on the link, and it takes me right to the about.com page where you vote. I, I, I click that I vote for Divine Office. I put my email address in. I click submit, and, and that's it. And, and there are three categories that Divine Office has been nominated or, or they're finalists in, the, in these three categories. The best Catholic website, the best Catholic mobile app, and the best Catholic podcast. And uh, so I've got these reminders sent to me. Every day, one reminder, one email with three links in it, and I just repeat that. Uh, click on the link. It opens the window. I, I, I put my email address in there. I, I click on Divine Office, and I hit submit. Boom, done. And literally that right there takes less than 10 seconds. And, and I do it three times for those three different categories. And under 30 seconds, I have contributed in a, in a substantial way to advancing this Catholic ministry. And I invite you to do the same. Please do go to divineoffice.org uh, or even a Catholic foodie. If you're on Catholic foodie, if you're just coming to see the show notes or whatever, I have the link on my site there too. It'll take you to where you could sign up uh, to vote for them, to be reminded to vote every day. Because the way that the about.com awards work is that once divine, the once the voting process is opened, you can vote every single day, right? Once a day, every day, until the voting time ends, which is on March 21st. Today, I'm recording this. This is March 3rd. So we, st we have like three weeks, okay, to support them. So I do ask you to please, uh, this is a great ministry. 
And it really is a living community of prayer. That's what really draws me to Divine Office. So I invite you to come join me in supporting divineoffice.org in this uh, in this Reader's Choice Award from About.com. Again, divineoffice.org. Thank you very much for helping to support and to promote this excellent Catholic ministry. I'd like the chef salad, please, with the oil and vinegar on the side and the apple pie a la mode. Chef and apple a la mode. But I'd like the pie heated, and I don't want the ice cream on top. I want it on the side, and I'd like strawberry instead of vanilla if you have it. If not, then no ice cream, just whipped cream, but only if it's real. If it's out of a can, then nothing. Not even the pie? No, just the pie, but then not heated. Uh-huh. I'll have what she's having. Why fish? I mean, why fish, if you think about it? Now, I have to tell you, I grew up south Louisiana, right? We're right here in the Gulf of Mexico. I uh, grew up in Baton Rouge, and I had this tremendous, and I've talked about this in the past. You can listen to past episodes. I don't remember the exact numbers, but I can put links in the show notes. I had a tremendous conversion experience at the age of 16, and that experience, it was an experience of, of, of Jesus. It, it, it was amazing, and it really kind of struck me at the heart and made me realize that this whole church thing, you know, is real, that, that Jesus is real, and, and Jesus isn't buried in a cave somewhere outside of Jerusalem, but he's alive now, and he's real, and he wants to communicate with me today, and, and it was just a really powerful experience. So, and of course, you know, I'm 16 years old, and, and it's all new, it's all fresh at the time, and I'm trying to figure out, what is this all about? Uh, I grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic schools. I think I started Catholic schools around fifth grade. And so, but even before that, I was going to um, Mass uh, on Sundays. I went to CCD, is what we called it back then. And so I learned about all these things. I remember my first communion, you know, in second grade. And I remember all this. And I remember Lent. And I remember eating fish sticks a lot (laughs) when I was a kid. And uh, of course, you know, you had to have ketchup with those fish sticks. Uh, that, that was just part of the part of the deal, right? I don't know if my mom would have gotten me to eat a lot of things when I was a little kid if it wasn't for ketchup. So, <laughs> um, can you relate to that? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I don't like ketchup as much today as I did back then. But secretly, I, I still kind of like it a lot. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, so fish sticks. And uh, my mom, I remember my mom would fry. It was like a, tra- a tradition for us and our family during Lent on Fridays. My, my dad would pick up uh, f- some kind of fish from uh, the seafood market on, on his way home from work. And it, oftentimes it was probably catfish. I don't remember exactly, but knowing my family today, I- I'm sure that's what it was, a lot of catfish, uh, which is very common down here. And uh, my mom would fry that catfish up and... She would fry, she would make these, her own french fries from scratch. I mean, like literally cut the potatoes herself. And she made this uh, seasoning, kind of a, a, a coating or a, a batter, a dry batter, I guess you would call that, uh, that you, she would dredge the fries in. And, and it was just flour and, and salt and black pepper. And uh, she would kind of dredge the, the fries in there and she'd fry those potatoes up and make these homemade french fries. We used to call them sandy fries. She's kind of known in the in the uh, extended family for these French fries, and I loved it. I mean, I had fried catfish and French fries and ketchup, and we'd have a salad on the side, and it was an awesome Lenten 
meal, right? No meat. Um, and it was a tradition. We did this all the time. And now, you know, at the same time, Knights of Columbus is real big down here, big, big organization. And in just about every parish here in New Orleans, and there are lots of parishes in South Louisiana, particularly in New Orleans. And here's why. I mean, you can go to New Orleans. If you go downtown or up to even the uptown area, you will see sometimes literally two Catholic churches across the street from each other. All right. And that, that's kind of crazy, right? When you think about it. But if you see the history and, and the, the deep Catholicism that is part and parcel of uh, the culture in New Orleans, you'll understand why that is. And it's because New Orleans was a port city. There were tons and tons of immigrants. It was a place where you could always find a job for the most part. And so you had lots of uh, Irish. We have the Irish Channel down there. It's an area, neighborhood that was called the Irish Channels, where a lot of the Irish lived. You got great Irish bars, pubs down there still today. Uh, great food. You had the Germans. They had a whole uh, uh, contingent of Germans that lived there in New Orleans. So we have a, a lot of German food, too. Uh, you had uh, the French, of course, the French influence, the Spanish. We have a lot of Italians. So you have all these different ethnic groups. And here's the deal. Back then, they didn't mix. They, they just didn't mix. So they, they were there. They, they maybe worked together. But as far as their lived experience of their culture, of their cuisine, of their, of their church experience, uh, the Irish had their own priests. The Germans had their own priests. Uh, they didn't mix. And so you had literally an Irish church on one corner and a German church on the other. They're all Catholic, but they just don't mix. <laughs> and so that's why you have that today. So you have these churches and these parishes, and they all have Knights of Columbus. And, you know, it's just an odd thing when you have all these Catholic parishes all across the greater New Orleans area. And on Fridays in Lent, guess what? One of the biggest fundraisers for Knights of Columbus, which is often done for them to continue their good works, but also a lot of these councils, what they'll do is they'll hold these fish fries, these Lenten fish fries. They sell uh, uh, plates of French fries and coleslaw and fried fish or fried shrimp or fried oysters or whatever, and probably not oysters because right now they're really expensive, but whatever it may be. And sometimes they'll do this as a fundraiser for other ministries or for the parish itself or for the school or, or whatever. So it's a great, it is a great charitable activity. It's a great charitable event. It's a good thing. At the same time, you try to kind of square that away, especially if you're young and you're 16 and you're kind of idealistic. You try to square that away with, hey, this is Lent and we're supposed to be kind of in this penitential mentality. And what's so penitential about going to the parish hall or the, or the Knights of Columbus Hall and, 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 and you know, stuffing myself with some delicious fried fish and fried shrimp. You know, what, what's the penitent, where's the penance in that? How does that bring me closer to God? And as a young kid, I had a hard time with that. But I've grown over the years, you know. And, you know, first of all, the, just, let's talk just a moment about, you know, why fish? Why is fish okay? And there, there's a lot of reasons for that. And you can, I mean, the, the bottom line is when the church talks about meat, and you can see this in canon law, it's referring to um, meat on land. It's talking about animals on, on land, and that would include birds. So you have, that's why chicken is not, uh, is not allowed here in the States, and some of this is left up to the local conference of Catholic bishops in whatever country they're in. Uh, of course, here's the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and they kind of have the final word on that. 
But in canon law, what is prohibited uh, when it comes to abstinence is the, the meat from animals on land, um, in, including, including birds. So what, what's interesting about that is we're told that, right? But we're not always really told why. And in canon law, it doesn't really tell you why. And I was researching this just the other day and uh, came up with two different theories, all right? And these are just theories. And uh, there are lots of different theories you can find. But these two ha- are, are distinctly spiritual. They're distinctly um, uh, it's not practical. We're not talking about economics here. We're not talking about, oh, you know, fish is cheaper and meat's more expensive. And so you're, you're going with a cheaper food because uh, that's, that's one of the theories that's out there of why fish and, and during Lent. Um, that's one of the theories, but that's an a economic-based thought, and it's also kind of antiquated. It's, it's, it's outdated. It's based upon uh, the, the way of life back in, like, you know, the medieval times or something. It's not, not now. Because now, I mean, seafood is, is expensive, <laughs> at least here. It, it's uh, in a lot of places in the United States, it's considered, a, a, some of it at least, a, a delicacy and can be very expensive. I mean, you think of lobster, for, for example. Uh, or if you're living in a place where you can't easily get fresh seafood, it, it costs extra to get that seafood if you want it. So uh, we don't want to talk about it today from an economic perspective. I want to talk to you about this from a spiritual perspective. And here's, here's two things I came across. The first one was very interesting, and it has to do with, with language. It has to do with Greek. You know, one of, the, one of the symbols, one of the ancient symbols of Jesus uh, that you find in the catacombs is, is a fish. And the Greek word for that fish is ichthus. And the, the, the way they, they come across or come, come uh, about using this fish symbol or ichthus for Jesus is it's an acronym. Uh, the word itself in Greek, the first letters, or the, the letters form, how, how do I explain this? It's an acronym. If you know what an acronym is, it's where you take the first letter of a series of words, and those first letters mean something. They, they, they form a word itself. And so the first letters, and let me see if I can pull it up here, what ichthus itself means, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. Um, I believe that is the exact translation. Uh, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, our Savior. Those words in Greek, if you take the first letter of each of those words, forms a word itself. And that word itself is ichthus, which means fish. And so that's how they come across uh, or came about using the symbol of a fish uh, for Jesus. Of course, we also have the story in the Bible uh, in the Gospels, of Jesus multiplying the loaves and the what? The fishes, right? He multiplies the loaves and the fish. And of course, when you look at that story, there are deep, deep, deep uh, Eucharistic connotations or, or connections there in the multiplication of the loaves and the fish. As a matter of fact, at Mass, you notice how careful the priest is uh, after after um, consecrating the bread and the wine, once once he has confected the sacrament, right? Once once the bread and the wine cease to exist, and it is then the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Once it is the Eucharist, right? Um, we we as Catholics and the priests, you see this very clearly because they have to purify the vessels 
after the communion uh, rite, they have to purify the vessels. They don't let any fragments get away. They don't let crumbs fall to the floor. They're very careful to preserve all of that. And you see how the priest will clean the paten and even the saboria, if there's more than one, and, and, and all of that using the, the purificator, the little cloth, all of that gets put into the chalice. And oftentimes you'll see him also pour a little extra water into the chalice. And, and what he's doing is he's making sure that all the particles are accounted for. They all go into the chalice. He adds a little extra water and he consumes all of that. So nothing is lost. And, and where do we get that from? You look back in the, in the Gospels, the story of the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, what do the apostles do? You know, after everyone has eaten, you know, thousands of people have eaten, Jesus tells the apostles, go and gather up all the fragments. And they do. And they have, in Matthew's Gospel, they have 12 baskets left over of the fragments. They saved it all. And so you have these deep kind of uh, connections or connotations, uh, links to uh, the, the Eucharist and these stories. And so there again, you have a connection of fish with Jesus, fish with Eucharist. And, and so perhaps that, since, since Jesus himself is symbolized by the fish, perhaps that is a spiritual reason why we can eat fish on Fridays in Lent but not meat. So in a sense, eating fish on Friday is almost a Eucharistic um, uh, sign or, or symbol for us. So that's one spiritual way of looking at that. That's, that's kind of an interesting take. I'd never thought about that before until I read that just the other day. And here's another one. This is a, 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 a kind of a different take, too, and I had never, I never um, heard of this, and it's actually it's probably caused me to laugh a little bit here. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try to pull it up. I, I don't have it in front of me. Here it is. Um, and this one came from a, uh, a blog from a, a priest. His name is Father Darren uh, Zinley. I believe is how you'd pronounce his last name, Father Darren Zinley. And the name of the blog is uh, Servant and Steward. I'll put a link in the show notes. He has a Blogspot blog, so it's, it's, uh, the, the, the URL address is a little difficult maybe to uh, remember, but it's dzinley, Z-E-H-N-L-E dot blogspot.com. Uh, but I will put a link in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. He has, um, this is an article that came out, he wrote back in 2009, uh, Why Do We Eat Fish on Fridays? And at the very end, he refers to some research he did, and he came across a story uh, that was kind of intriguing to him. Uh, he, he believes it comes from the 15th century, and it was something, uh, let me see, where from John Meyer and his Liber Festivalis, which is a, a Latin term. It's a book of festivals is what that means in English, and apparently this John Meyer back in the 15th or 16th century wrote this book and in it, this is what, this is what he, he wrote. This is this John Meyer. He says, you know, for when God, uh, when, when Adam sinned, you know, God cursed the earth and he cursed the land. Uh, but he did not curse the water. Isn't that interesting? If you think about that, God did. He, he, he told that Adam that, that he cursed the land and said that Adam is going to have to work and get his food by the sweat of his brow. But, but, God did not curse the water. And so what John Meyer back in the 15th or 16th century says, what he concludes is, therefore it is lawful for a man to eat in Lent that which comes from the water. 
So that's another spiritual take on it. I'd never heard that before. <laughs> and I find it very interesting. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I kind of prefer the spiritual rationale or reasons behind why we eat fish during Lent. Again, the important thing is what? That our meals, our food, especially, I think, in a penitential season like Lent, that they should be shared with family and friends, uh, first of all. And secondly, that those meals themselves, whether we eat fish or eat vegetables or just eat bread, whatever we eat, that they should really bring us closer to each other and closer to our Lord in this penitential season. So um, I'll leave you with that. Uh, I'm very excited, by the way, in just a moment, uh, we're going to have Celeste Behe on the show with us, and we're going to talk more about Lent and meals and cooking and eating and all the good things that we do as family, as family during Lent. So we'll be back in just a moment with Celeste Behe. You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato is ripe. They're so perky. I love that. Well, folks, just the other day, I came across a resource online that... Uh, it really it kind of took me by surprise, and it made me very, very excited. And uh, I'm very happy today to welcome a guest on the show. We have Celeste Behe here with us, who is the author of this resource that I found that I'm very excited about. And uh, Celeste, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Now, you know, I have to say that uh, the first thing that really struck me about this website, your website, is uh, the title. It's called A Perpetual Jubilee. Right. And that, uh, it just, it, to me, is very striking. Uh, you know, the Catholic foodie is all about food, where food meets faith, and a lot of it has a, I've always tried to explain to people that the Catholic foodie is kind of like the theology of the body for foodies. <laughs> you know? And so when I right. saw that title, I was like, wow, a perpetual jubilee. Where does that come from? What is that all about? Well, it was said by St. Stephen Venard, who was a martyr, in fact, um, and he, to quote him, he said, be merry, really merry. The life of a true Christian should be a perpetual jubilee, a prelude to the festivals of eternity. Wow. And uh, it, that, that really grabbed me because that, that's my philosophy of living. And um, I think it all begins in the kitchen. A Amen. <laughs> that is fantastic. I love it. And uh, you know, obviously, I mean, you have a, you have a kitchen uh, that you, you have a family. And I, we do, indeed, yes. And, and my husband, Mike, and I have nine children, um, and uh, we, uh, we homeschool them, and they range in age from 27, of course, he's beyond homeschooling, down to nine. Um, we have uh, eight of them yet at home, and I am the primary cook in the household. Wow. And I, I have to say, I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's, a, that's a big job. <laughs> you know, it is a big job, but I'll tell you what, it's not as... as big, um, as people might think, you know, it's interesting, one of the um, uh, comments that I would often hear as a mother of nine children was, how do you feed them all? And the truth is that it really isn't that hard to do, unless you're bent on serving things like, say, Eggs Benedict, which, by the way, I did try once, and it was quite the ordeal. Um, it's, uh, you just need to remember that it isn't when you're cooking, it, 
is not necessarily all about the flavor of what you're cooking. You'd be surprised the difference that, say, a happy atmosphere can make, a positive attitude when you're serving it, you know, a smile on your face, um, good conversation around the table. That's what it's all about. And the other thing to keep in mind when you're cooking for a crowd is that most kids don't have gourmet palates. If they did, macaroni and cheese would have been taken off the market a long time ago. <laughs> so it's not really what it's about. You know, it's really about the love that goes into it. And it's about, uh, on the cook's part, it's about remembering that what you're doing in preparing that meal for your family is you're doing God's will. And as St. Therese said, God walks among the pots and the pipkins. He's in that kitchen with you, right. and it's a good thing to keep in mind. And it's amazing, too, because in a lot of ways, uh, cooking and preparing a meal is something, it's a very sacramental uh, activity. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, I, I wrote a, something, golly, it's been a while now, this is one of the early posts, I think, for the Catholic Foodie, it was about how cooking can be uh, really a, a ministry, a gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And it, that sounds exactly like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that's it in a nutshell, indeed. Now, the thing with, with a perpetual jubilee, uh, you, it seems to me at least that you're taking your experience, which is a holy experience in the kitchen, and you're sharing it with the world here with a perpetual jubilee. Um, what, the second thing that really struck me about this website is something called 40 for 12. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of struck me, of course, uh, when, I went, when I saw the site, it's, it, it's got a, a kind of a Lenten theme to it. it it's mm-hmm. purple, yeah. which is a very good Lenten uh, color. <laughs> Uh, what is this 40 for 12 all about? Well, it's, it's a menu plan. Uh, the, the title comes from, of course, 40 Days of Lent, um, and each menu serves 12 people. So it's a 40 for 12 menu plan, and it's, it's really all about living out the Lenten discipline of abstinence as a family um, without causing undue stress for the mom or making the kids sullen because, you know, kids, kids do like their hamburgers, and my teenage boys do like their meat. Um, so it, it's something that we can, we can all do together, but it's not, it doesn't strain anyone too much. Um, it's a menu plan, and it can make Lent and discipline workable for us large families, for whom the meal planning can kind of be a tricky business sometimes. Uh, and it's a flexible plan. It can be modified um, and picked up, put down according to your family's needs. It, it's designed to help you spend less time in the kitchen and more time in, in prayer and, and the other things that are appropriate to the, the season of Lent. That's fantastic. It, it, it reminds me, too, of, um, you know, there's a Greek philosopher, uh, Epicurus, mm-hmm. and, of course, the, the, the big foodie website, Epicurus, is uh, named after him. But, um, right. and, and he had, in a lot of ways, of course, he, he was a pagan, he was a Greek philosopher, but he had that same sort of mentality in a way of, you know, be merry, really merry, and uh, he saw something very virtuous in the fact that we could celebrate and celebrate with, with food. But he had a quote. There's something he wrote that was very um, poignant. He said something along the lines of, um, before you go to look for something to eat or drink, you should look first for someone to eat and drink with. Mm-hmm. And I can see kind of a correlation there with what, what you're talking about. If you spend less time in the kitchen and more time around the table, really visiting, really sharing, really uh, communicating right. with your family, uh, mm-hmm. that, that in itself, I think, could be an excellent Lenten sacrifice because we're so busy. You That's know, right. people, families, kids running all over the place, parents running all over the place. Mm-hmm. To actually spend time around the table 
in communion would be a right. wonderful Lenten sacrifice in and of itself. Whether you're right. eating popsicles or 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 beans or or meat or whatever it is, you know. Right. Yes, absolutely. And you're right. It is it is something that's lost in our society. The value of just sitting together as a family and and sharing a meal. Uh, it's so important, and it, it means so much to every member of that family, especially the children, who will retain that as the years go by. They'll be able to look back and say, hey, I had this you know, half an hour with my family where we all sat together um, and, and we shared a meal. And it, it means so much. You know, it, it's easy to let the days go by and to, not, to kind of forget the significance of, of small things like that, but they really do mean a lot. You know, we're um, I, I'm I'm very much guilty of this, um, and it's something that that I work on. I mean, we work on. We're very busy here, of course, and just like everybody else. I mean, my girls are in gymnastics, and they got uh, they have practice twice uh, a week for like three hours on Mondays and Wednesdays, and my son's in karate, and wow. you know, it's just we have we have other things because we homeschool too, so they're at home during the day, and we mm-hmm. do eat lunch together um, just about every day. Sometimes I work out of the house. So sometimes I'm I'm not actually here for lunch, but for the most part we get to sit down at the table together for lunch. Uh, but dinner time is always a challenge. And I was uh, we have a just this past week we had the, a mission, a Lenten mission at our parish, and the priest one night who was conducting the the mission, Father Philip Scott, he made a comment about family life, and he said, you know, for children, love is spelled T I M E. And, you know, even though we're at home, we're homeschooling, uh, the kids get lots of our time mm-hmm. with activities, you know, whether it's the classes or we're driving them here or driving them there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's different than spending that T-I-M-E around the right. T-A-B-L-E, right? Around <laughs> the, the table. Yes, it certainly is. Because certainly- then you're you're relaxing, you're, you're not, uh, it's not hectic, and you really spend that time doing the other thing that's very, very hard for us today, which is listening. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's very tough. Very tough. That is, yeah. it's very I inspirational know. when you find not only families who are doing this and practicing this, but also when you find resources where you, you have a menu laid out for you just for, for Lent. I mean, it's just like all there. This is really amazing. Yeah, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's true. Uh, how many days? Uh, I'm sure this is the case in, in the household of every, everyone who is listening, and yourself, I bet, I bet too, Jeff. Um, how many days does it happen that, you know, the time goes by, and here you are, you look at the clock, and by golly, it's 4.50, and you know you've got to put something on the table in an hour, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, the menu plan is, uh, by planning this out for readers, I kind of hope to help them to avoid that, that last minute, uh, you know, uh, chaos. Um, so yeah, that, that's, um, yeah, as you say, that, that's what it's about, it's about spending that time. And in order to spend that time with, with your family, you need to plan better. Uh, and I'm, I'm, that's something I'm guilty of. It, it's hard, you know, to, to get your act together and prioritize and so forth. It's not too easy, but at least as far as our kitchen goes, we, we kind of sort of have it together for the moment anyway. <laughs> and uh, the menu plan does help. Well, you know, I noticed too another. This is to me a huge, huge thing. Um, in addition to the menu plan, you also have a complete shopping list. Yes, 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 the shopping list. That's right. Um, I uh, I know that uh, speaking for myself, how many times do I think that I'm going to remember what I need, 
And uh, I get to the store, and I, I'm repeating that that little list in my mind, you know, milk, butter, eggs, milk, butter, eggs. And, <laughs> you know, most of the time I'll walk out, and I'll have the milk and the butter, but halfway home I'll realize I didn't get those eggs. So, yeah, I, uh, we do have a, a, a complete shopping list online as well. And um, in planning this, I, I made a point of avoiding those, those convenience foods that cost so much. Uh, so I planned this with an eye, too, to, to good nutrition, uh, of trying to avoid the frozens and... Um, and as I said, so the convenience foods, the things that come in boxes and so forth. Right. Um, because it's, uh, you know, we're talking about the health of our, our family. And really, there are a few things more important than that. You know, their right. spiritual health is primary. Their physical health is it's up there, too. And we're responsible for it. That's right. That's right. And it's, you know, it's so easy, though. I, the, the other day I was, um, I'm on Twitter. Are, are you on Twitter? Yes, I am. What, what is your Twitter handle? I don't remember, Jeff, frankly. <laughs> um, when I say that I'm on Twitter, I have my, um, my post for my blog automatically oh, directed right. to Twitter. Right, right. But I myself have, have never gotten on there. Uh, I keep meaning to, but it's one, one of those things that, um, you know, it's kind of towards the bottom of the list, the, the list, and whether I'll get there one day, I don't know. That's right. I understand <laughs> so. that. I understand. But it, it was funny because the other day I was working on a, on a, on a post that I still haven't put up yet. It's, it's about... Um, uh, cooking meals quickly, you know, like like uh, how to, how to cook uh, dinner, you know, ten shortcuts you could take basically is what it's about. And I, mm-hmm. I just kind of threw the question out there on Twitter of you know what what's your shortcut, what's your idea, and someone responded spaghettios. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I said, well, you know, it's, it's certainly short as Costco. It, it, it cuts <laughs> it down. That's right. It's, it's not exactly what I had in mind, but it was so funny. But but it oh, made God. me it made me think. You know, I mean that that's one of the things that I talk about all the time is is uh, cooking from scratch. And it doesn't have to be a forever project. It doesn't have to um, uh, take tons of time or cost mm-hmm. a lot of money, but it, it's so much more healthy yeah. to cook from scratch rather than to go get the, the canned stuff or the boxed foods with, you know, a thousand different uh, preservatives and, and God knows what else in it. You know, it is important to uh, to try to keep your focus on on cooking good food, good food that's really good for you and not something that just, you know, it's not fast food, something just to kind of, uh, you know, fill a, fill a hole or to put fuel in the machine. It's more than that. It's, there's, there's a real uh, sacramentality to the food that we eat and, and the people that we eat it with. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think it is important that you, as often as you can, you, you take the food, the God-given food um, that he's put there for our use and, and use that. You know, if, you, if you've got a garden, that's a great, that's a wonderful thing. And to, to take those things, you know, with your own hands or your children, for your children to get on out there and, you know, pick those tomatoes or, or pull that, that little bit of greenery out of the ground and bring it into the kitchen. It's it's a beautiful thing, and there's no replacement for that. But um, you know, if that can't be managed, then I tell you, it, it's not that hard. You know, when people think of cooking from scratch, you know, they a lot of the time they they think, oh my gosh, I can't do that. I'm I'm not a cook. I'm not a cook. You don't need to be a cook. All you really need to do is take that that you know favorite recipe of yours. It might call for a, a frozen this or that, and instead of going for the frozen. Buy it fresh. Cook it up yourself. Mm-hmm. If it calls for a frozen broccoli cut package, say, buy some broccoli flards, steam them till they're that, that beautiful, vivid green that I, I you know, oh, it's, it's a lovely thing to behold in, in the kitchen, <laughs> um, and, uh, and put that in the casserole or, or what have you. Right, and right. Uh, it really goes a long way. You know, all those, those 
those uh, little bits of nutrients here and there, they do matter. So cooking from scratch doesn't really have to be a chore. That's right. I agree 100%. And I have to ask you, do you have – because, you know, you've got you've got all these different recipes here on, on a perpetual jubilee. Is there one that you'd like to share with us today? Is there is there a favorite? Well, you know, for this time of year, um, there is a favorite. There are a number of, of uh, meals that my kids will, will willingly eat. But I'm going to share with you a recipe that is unusual. Um, and it's a little – strange little dish called Ducca, D-U-C-C-A, and it's something I'm going to share this week on, on my blog. Now, I'll tell you, I come from an Italian background, so growing up, I ate all the foods that you usually see on, on TV shows featuring Italian families. You know, there's always the pasta, there's the lasagna. Well, Mike's background, my husband's background is Irish and German, and he grew up on pretty much all American food. Now, when Mike and I became engaged, he, I asked him which recipes I ought to get from, uh, from his mom. And he told me about this dish, Ducca, that he just loved. It struck me as, as <laughs> an odd assortment of ingredients. Uh, the recipe called for only pickled beets, eggs, and flour. Wow. No pasta. No pasta. No tomato <laughs> sauce. You know, what kind of food was this? Well, anyway, but I, I gave it a go. And all you do is you hard cook these eggs. You let them sit in a big bowl with the beets and the pickling juices. Okay? The eggs will eventually take on a deep, rich color. Um, that it's the color of a bishop's beretta, pretty much. It's like a purple wow. red. And you put the eggs, you know, on the table then, alongside the pickled beets. And, and they're all done. Eggs, beets, put them out there. And then you fry up a batter of flour, eggs, and water. And when, the, when it's nice and crisp, you break it into pieces. You pour the pickling juices over it, and you serve it. Hmm. Now, I followed these directions, and I, I made this dish, and I, I, frankly, I had my doubts about it. But over the years... I'll tell you, as my family has grown, it's become one of their favorite meatless dishes. Wow. Um, I've tried to find out the origin of this dish, but uh, if you look up Ducca on Google, all that turns up is information on restaurants by that name. So I don't know, you know, don't know its provenance, don't know where it hails from, but I do know that it's a kid pleaser. I tell you, all nine of my children like this dish. Wow. So, it, it, it's a keeper. <laughs> I never would have guessed it when I first heard about it, but it is indeed a keeper. Well, that, that's awesome. I know my children would absolutely love it. That sounds would they right, up <laughs> right up their alley. <laughs> well, that's a great one. And, it, and it's going to be up there soon? Yeah, it will be up there. Sure enough. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, thank yeah. you so much for, uh, for coming on the show today. Uh, I, I tell you, I, I love what I see over at A Perpetual Jubilee. And the URL for that uh, website is Celeste Behe, that's B-E-H-E dot uh-huh. blogspot dot com. That's right. And uh, you can also just Google a perpetual jubilee. You, you rank number one on Google for that uh, search term, by the way. Is that right? <laughs> you I, come I up at the that. very top. So that's, that's fantastic. But, it is indeed. Well, thanks. <laughs> but thank you so much for, for being on The Catholic Foodie. I, I appreciate it, and I really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Oh, uh, there's nothing I love more than uh, talking about food, Jeff, so I appreciate your having me here. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much, Jeff. Okay, goodbye. Well, I want to thank Celeste again for being on the show. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. And look, I mean, her, her website, A Perpetual Jubilee, fantastic. Go check it out. Number one in Google, if you go Google it, uh, A Perpetual Jubilee, you'll find it there. Of course, there's a link in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com, or you could just go straight there by typing in your browser uh, Celeste Behe, B-E-H-E, dot blogspot.com. 
Hi, I'm Junie. And I'm Ray. And this is Mary in the Kitchen with Sarah Reinhardt. <laughs> Folks, I have spent the time since the last show drooling over the thought of king cakes. I was going to try making one. Then I decided that I could justify ordering one, expensive though it would be. My husband, who I don't think even likes king cakes, agreed. But you know what? I never did it. And do you know why? Because I was lazy. Here we are in Lent, and I have a sneaking suspicion I know what's going to happen. That spreadsheet with my plans on it, the one I made so carefully and categorized and even prayed about, yeah, you got it. It's a wash. Now, I'm not planning to fail. I've just come to the realization that failure is part of my Lent. I have to die to myself before I can be open to God. I make a plan for Lent every single year. Call me crazy, but to a psycho planner type, it's fun. I do it in odd moments, and whether it's written down or not, it helps me dive into Lent knowing that I have a bit of a road map. Even now that I suspect the destination's a surprise that's not on my GPS. So often, life is not about the big leaps we make. I find it's a lot easier to fast from something completely than it is to exercise the self-control and limit myself to moderation. And guess which one I probably need more of. As I look at the wreckage of my kitchen after my two little ones have had their fun in my cupboards, I have to wonder whether I have a vision of how Lent goes so often for me. You know, before you can clean the cupboards, you have to take everything out of them. And that makes quite a mess. After you clean up the mess and put everything away, you sometimes can't even tell the cupboards have been cleaned. The only one to know might be you. During Lent, I pray that I can cooperate while God helps me take things out of my dusty soul to clean it and maybe organize it a little differently. While I'm struggling not to scream and protest, I'll be turning to Mama Mary for help. Care to join me? Thank you so much, Sarah. That's Sarah Reinhardt, folks. She's got uh, a fantastic blog over at snoringscholar.com. And I have to tell you... Sarah is uh, very much a part of our Lent because two of the resources that we are using daily this year in Lent uh, were written by her. (laughs) Uh, She's got two books uh, that deal with Lent. One of them is, Do I Really Have to Give Something Up for Lent? And the other one is, Welcome Risen Jesus, Lenten and Easter Reflections for Families. And, uh, you know, we're still in the first week of Lent. This is the last day of the first week of Lent. So if you don't have copies of these, you can still get them, right? We still have time. We still have lots of lots of Lent left. So uh, I highly recommend both of them, fantastic resources. Of course, you know that they would be because you hear Sarah every week here on The Catholic Foodie with the Mary in the Kitchen segment. You know the incredible, the grace-filled reflections that she gives to us. So, Sarah, thank you so much for uh, not only being here on The Catholic Foodie, but also for those fantastic resources that we're using uh, this Lent. And, uh, folks, you can find links to those resources in the show notes for this episode 
of The Catholic Foodie over at catholicfoodie.com. Howdy, howdy. I'm David. And I'm Allison. From The Catholic Family at catholicfamilypodcast.com. Is speed cleaning something you need to learn about immediately because you have two and a half dozen eggshells all over your dining room floor? Or brush up on your constitutional law to have an intelligent conversation with your friends about the recent Obama health care debate. Have you ever wondered what that thing was in the church? Tune into The Catholic Family, episode 154, for answers to these and other life-altering questions. You talk about a good podcast. You ought to go visit The Catholic Family at catholicfamilypodcast.com. And uh, folks, this pretty much wraps up our show today. Uh, this is Lent. This is Lent. A lot of lot of prayer. We need lots of prayer. A lot of things going on in uh, in the world. You know, I was going to give you a recipe today, but we're running out of time. But I will tell you this: I just posted it over at CatholicFoodie.com. It's it's for pretzels. Okay, pretzels, and pretzels have a, a long tradition uh, in, in in Lent, and uh, you can find out more about that at catholicfoodie.com. I give you a very simple and very quick recipe over there, so go check that out. Also, don't forget to vote for divineoffice.com, the Divine Office uh, iPhone, iPad apps, and uh, just with the best Catholic website, best Catholic uh, podcast, best Catholic iPhone, iPad app. I mean, they're finalists over there at the about.com uh, 2012 Reader's Choice Awards. Please don't forget to do that. Uh, you can find a link at catholicfoodie.com or at divineoffice.com. And finally, and lastly today, uh, SQPN Giving Campaign. If you are not yet a friend of SQPN, please become a friend today. We need we need a Catholic voice, a Catholic content, uh, a Catholic presence online today. Why? Pope Benedict called the Internet and, and, and what's going on there a digital continent. Uh, we we uh, I mean, people across the world are living on this digital continent, and so we have to be there. We must be there. And uh, SQPN, of course, is committed to producing quality Catholic content uh, online. So they need our help. Let's support SQPN today, the StarQuest Production Network. You can find them at sqpn.com. And until next time, bon appétit. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.